0: This is the Lightning Round Podcast, with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go!
1: Welcome to E160 Lightning Round Podcast. I am Garrett Sisti, which is at Garrett Sisti on Twitter, and you can follow Jamie and the podcast at Lightning underscore Round, and... Chargers have won three in a row, coming off an impressive road win in Cleveland. We'll talk about some important storylines, but we're just going to go ahead and jump into it today. We've got our first question via phone call from our friend Alfred.
2: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Alfred from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for all that you guys do. Um, it's an amazing podcast, uh, great insight on everything Chargers-related, and it is the highlight of my Tuesday noon lunchtime as it helps me get through my workday And I always look forward to it every week. Um, I have a weird question for you guys. Which Chargers team do you guys prefer to watch? Uh, The first one year, two years of Mike McCoy era where it feels like the Chargers can beat any team but lose to any team. Um, They had some notable wins against Seattle, Cincinnati in the playoffs when Cincinnati was undefeated at home. Or do you enjoy the year one, year two, Anthony Lynn type of Chargers where it feels like We actually beat the teams we're supposed to beat, um, even winning by multiple scores, but we seem to underperform or maybe
0: just perform how we're supposed to against better teams. Um, That's it. Thank you. So I guess if I had to choose between watching the the early part of Mike McCoy when they were beating good teams and struggling with bad teams and the early part of Anthony Lynn where they're beating bad teams and struggling with good teams, I don't know, it's going to sound weird, but I just... I think I I prefer the Anthony Lynn because I'd rather that they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. I know you don't get the exciting wins over Seattle to go on that route, but I feel like if you are beating the teams you're supposed to beat, that means you're consistently doing the things that you need to do to win games and that will eventually lead towards winning games against good teams. Uh so I think for for my for my taste I'd go with early Anthony Lynn even in spite of you know, some of the coaching flaws and some of the struggles they've had against good teams. I I like seeing them blow out teams like the Rams and the Raiders and take care of business when they're supposed to.
1: The Browns and the Raiders?
0: Oh, (laughs) I meant the Browns. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think that that will eventually build towards beating better teams as they continue to, you know, put processes in place and do the things they need to do to win those games.
1: I would say that in 2013, you know, putting aside the fact that they backed in the playoffs that year and you know they were playing against a b squad in kansas city but i thought in 2013 in their best day they were no way shape or form getting out of that afc divisional playoff round where they had to play either the new england patriots that year or the denver broncos with that defense and peyton manning i thought in no way on their best day they had no chance beating cincinnati was an added bonus that was great but I just didn't think they were talented enough. This current team on their best day I think has a chance. And while it's still not perfect and like you talked about some of the bumps along the way from this coaching staff, I still think it's better coached under Anthony Lynn and I think it's more talented than the 2013-14 Chargers were. So I would choose this current team.
0: Yeah, I always felt like when they, you know, when they beat when they beat Seattle or When they had that home win against Indy or even when they beat Cincinnati in the playoffs, it kind of felt like they were catching lightning in the bottle. Like everything had to go exactly right in all three phases of the game for them to win a game. And they weren't really good enough to overcome mistakes. I think this team is more talented, like you mentioned. They're a better coach. And I think that as they build towards the latter part of this season, we're going to see that they are able to overcome mistakes. And in fact, they have been overcoming mistakes in their three game winning streak. So that kind of shows that, you know, they have the talent to overcome a turnover or a big punt return or a boneheaded penalty or a bad coaching decision. And that talent is showing out and they are overcoming those mistakes. And I, I I prefer that to the, we had a perfect game plan. Everything went exactly right. And we eked out a three point win over a good football team because they didn't execute on one play.
1: Or it was really, really hot in San Diego and Seattle couldn't really deal with the
0: heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so the next question is a big Twitter debate right now. And it comes from coincidentally enough, MG3 is the goat. Hello. Thanks for the podcast guys. Recently there's been a Twitter debate on whether Melvin Gordon is a top 10 running back. I'm curious to know where you guys stand on that. Thank you.
0: So we have at times been critical of Melvin (laughs) Gordon on this show. I think that tune has changed to some degree over the last couple of years. And we have both come to the conclusion that he is, for lack of a better term, the linchpin of the offense. Uh, everything runs better when things run through Melvin, whether it's the running game or the passing game or both. And I would say, you know, if you're looking at top 10 running backs, you know, there's probably a first cut of backs that you'd want over Melvin, guys like Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Kareem Hunt, and maybe some debate over somebody like a LaShawn McCoy or a David Johnson on some levels. But I think Melvin is in that next cut, that second tier of, of running backs, and maybe starting to creep his way towards the bottom of the list of that first cut. So I'd say, you know, if you're looking at top 10, yeah, I think you could make an argument for top 10 based on the way he's producing. Um and the fact that they've actually got him in a role that better suits his skill set and they're not just trying to pound him up the middle two out of every three plays to to quote unquote get the running game going. I'd say yeah, he's he's a top ten guy. You know, you're probably looking at him in that, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten range, somewhere in there. Uh, but I think he's earned that kind of recognition based on the way he's played, particularly the last two years. He's holding on to the ball more, he's Uh, Running hard, he's become incredibly difficult to tackle, at least in tight quarters. He still goes down on initial contact in open space, kind of runs to contact in open space. Um, But, yeah, I think you can say he's top 10.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I think this is a very cool question only because I like the fact that they're coming to us to decide a debate. And I think more people should do that. If you've got a big debate, we will give you the question. We got this. We're the person to give you the verdict on this. So... I think the argument against Gordon being a top 10 isn't about the production necessarily but rather the process in which Gordon gets there. I think they're talking about a natural running back. Gordon gets the volume, he leaves yards on the field. Is he a top 10 quarterback or is he a top 10 running back? I mean, he's top 3 in rushing yards. He's 3rd in the league in rushing touchdowns and I think he's 13th in attempts per game, so it's not he's getting a Big volume, but not the most. You know, he's not top 10 in that category. So, obviously being productive. So, if the question is, is Melvin Gordon a top 10 running back in the NFL this season? The answer is an obvious yes. If the question is, if I were starting a franchise tomorrow, are there 10 other running backs I would select over Melvin Gordon? I think you got to go with Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. Kareem Hunt. I think Kareem Hunt could be in the discussion. I think Kareem Hunt David Johnson are a little iffy only because they've had like one... Good season, and the jury's still out kind of on them. But if you even throw in Alvin Kamara, which I guess is the same case, and I'm, I'm arguing against myself here, but uh, Gurley, <laughs> <laughs> Bell, Elliott for sure. Throw in Kamara, I think Barkley's talented. But if you throw in Hunt, Johnson, even McCaffrey, that's not ten guys. I think that's eight. I'm counting in my head.
0: So, yeah, I think... you still got LaShawn McCoy yeah, in there. Did you mention which, him? He's still. I think he's in there somewhere. Sure.
1: I mean, in this stage of his career, uh, probably not. I'm probably picking Melvin Gordon. So, for me, uh, I don't think there's 10 better running backs to choose to start my franchise. So, I would say, no, there are not. And, yes, Melvin Gordon is a top-10 running back. Jamie agrees with me, and we solved that issue.
0: Yeah. There you go. If you're asking, is he one of the 10 most skilled running backs in terms of covering all the bases of what you want in a running back in terms of power, speed, vision, blocking, receiving, um, you know, uh, open field, uh, elusiveness ability in the open field, elusiveness. There you go. Uh-huh. I blanked on my, on the word I was yep. looking for there. I gotcha. You. you know, I, I'm not sure that you could say he's one of the 10 most skilled backs in the league. Uh, I think his vision holding, him, holds him back a little bit, but, if you're asking if he are there ten backs that you'd want over him, I would say no, there are not ten backs in the league that you would take over him if you were starting a franchise right now.
1: Okay. I we've decided it. That's it. Argument over. Yes, he's a top ten running back.
0: Yep. Next question is from Marcus Turgian. Do you think the quote unquote working in of Michael Davis, who had a pre draft four three, four forty time in the lineup, is meant to try to develop someone to cover Tyreek Hill? Maybe not one-on-one, but to bump him at the line and have enough recovery speed to keep it close?
1: You know, um, I think that's a really good thought. Lynn, yesterday in his post-game press conference, had talked about how much they liked Michael Davis's size and speed. But, you know, it, it seems to be a case, according to Lynn's comments yesterday, that... Michael Davis was making so many plays on special teams that they just had to work him in, and he's earned snaps on defense. And, you know, maybe they hope that the confidence builds, that he becomes that solid cornerback option on the bench. But um, Lynn also mentioned mentioned how his uh, tackling has vastly improved, and I thought we saw, you know, snippets of that on Sunday too. So I think he's worked hard, and the coaching staff has recognized that. And Maybe the size and speed correlates, but... I think for right now, it's more about earning the snaps because the coaching staff has appreciated the dirty work, so to speak, he's done on special teams.
0: I think there's two things going on here. One is I fully agree he has earned the time on special teams. He earned time last year with his play on special teams, and he's building on that this year. So there's no doubt that when you have somebody who has those size and speed measurables and who has looked good in spots in the preseason— and is playing so well on special teams and is just a flat-out athlete, as a football coach, it's incumbent upon you to find a way to get an athlete like that on the field wherever and whenever you can. And it helps that he's earning those snaps. I think the other thing that's going on here is I think this is a pretty obvious reaction to what they are seeing with Trevor Williams early in the season. You know, we have six games of Trevor Williams at this point, he has not played particularly well. He has not played particularly fast. He's even struggled with tackling at times, which was really one of his strong suits last season. Uh, and I I think maybe they're starting to lose some level of patience with him uh, because quick receivers are getting behind him on a regular basis. He seems to not be finding the ball in the air. He's just not playing well. And I think they have to find some way to compensate for that. And... It's just an easy step to get Davis in there and say, hey, he's earned it. He's playing so well on special teams. He's such a great athlete. We just got to find a way to make better use of him and make more use of him. So I don't think they'd obviously say that in public because they don't want to damage Trevor Williams' uh, confidence at all. But I think that that's part of what's going on here too is they are seeing some some regression in Williams' game. And they are trying to get somebody ready to step in in the event that they need to do that later in the season. And obviously, their starting corners are a little bit on the slow side, all three of them. Even in the nickel package, Dez is not the fastest guy. So they need to find some way to get some additional speed, not just for Tyreek, but every NFL team has a fast wide receiver, whether it's in the slot or outside or what have you. Somebody has – every team has somebody you have to be able to cover downfield. So I think that's what's going on here. I don't think it's a – direct response to we have to cover Tyreek that would obviously be a benefit if he proves to be able to do that uh, I wouldn't expect them to leave Williams one-on-one or Davis excuse me one-on-one with Tyreek Hill at this point in his career uh, but you know I think that's a combination of things that are going on right now.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's the coaching staff also saying, "Hey, listen, you know, Adai's not going to catch up with anybody on the back end. Somebody's got to try, right?"
0: <laughs> oh, well, we know Adai's not going to catch up with anybody <laughs> on the back end. That's for damn sure. <laughs> All
1: right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and go into this game. Uh, impressive win on the road against a uh, talented Browns team. People were underselling him during the week, but uh, they were a good team. But Chargers didn't make them look like one. Uh, give me give me a storyline from this game on Sunday.
0: Well, I thought the big storyline for me, the first one, is the kind of discovery of the running game that Anthony Lynn and Wiz have been looking for for the last almost a year and a half now. Uh, you've got a, a team that ran for 246 yards and averaged almost seven yards a carry. Uh, Wiz did a really good job of letting his linemen, his athletic linemen, be athletes again and get downfield and work at the second level to set up blocks for their running backs. They were able to get Melvin Gordon out in space. And, and they got the reverse game going and the jet sweep game going. And I think the really telling thing here is the way they closed really the entire second half with the running game. Uh They ran 32 plays in the second half, 24 of which were runs. They gained 140 of their 169 second half yards on the ground. The team scored 17 second half points with Phillip going 2 for 8 for 29 yards and an INT. So they ran the ball down the 49ers throat. They put the game away with a- extra points in the second half. And at the start of the fourth quarter, even though the drive didn't end very well, they had two drives where they just basically marched right down the field on the ground with almost nothing but runs. They were running the ball right at the Browns defense and the Browns had no answer for them and they wore them out and they, they just, they beat them up and they broke them down physically. And I thought that was a big storyline because it's something that, they've been looking for, for for almost a year and a half now, and it seems like they're finding it because they found it against a talented defense. And it's something that they can build on and use to close out games moving forward as they start to play more difficult games. So I thought that was a huge storyline.
1: Yeah, and that's um, something I want to touch on too, and well, I guess we'll touch on it a little bit later. But um, during this game, I thought the biggest storyline for me was Tyrell Williams and just – how it seems like every year he's got some kind of standout performance. And, you know, on Sunday we saw it. It was three catches for 118 yards, two touchdowns. So he didn't necessarily dominate, but in three catches, two touchdowns, he was very productive, made every catch count. And two of his three catches came on the back-to-back plays. There was 740 left the second quarter. Most of you know all about it. There was a 44-yard dime from Rivers. That play was actually on one of the Browns' more talented corners, EJ Gaines, who was giving up nothing through the air uh, going into that game. Gave up 44 yards on one pass to Tyrell Williams. And then the very next play was that 45-yard bomb to Tyrell Williams and triple coverage not a, a great decision but man what a strong move to, to go up in being draped by two different defenders come down with it and basically rip it away from the DB who's trying to rip the ball away from him so that was very impressive also the second touchdown which is his third catch where you know Russell Akum probably should have been called for the false start but that Probably. didn't slow Yeah. They did <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh but that didn't slow down Tyrell Williams or Denzel Ward. Neither of them stopped playing. And of course Tyro made the catch. He kinda had to jump and kinda float in the air to come down with that and you know, Ward was coming down and was draped on him too. And, you know, Ward was also very impressive going in this week too. And Tyrell Williams made both those corners look pretty silly. Being able to run with Denzel Ward, strive for stride, come down with it, it just seems like we haven't seen those strong hands ever from Tyrell Williams. Uh very far and few between. But what I thought was interesting, because you know, we're not accustomed to seeing those catches and he made two of them and he made both of them count. But what was interesting post game is Anthony Lynn was asked, you know, were you surprised about Tyrell Williams' performance on Sunday, which I think is a terrible question by the way. I don't know why you asked. just get to the question. Are you surprised by Tyrell Williams' performance? Do you think your player sucks? Yeah, Are you like what got those balls? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man, just ask the question. Don't pussyfoot around it. Anyway, um, you know, Lynn said when I came in here, Tyrell Williams Uh, wasn't accustomed to high pointing the ball that didn't come natural to him but every day outside my office I watch him after practice now and he's practicing high pointing the ball through contact and even Lynn admitted like referring to the first touchdown pass a year ago that's not a play Tyrell Williams makes but he's working on becoming a complete receiver and you know outside of the drops in week one and he's been pretty quiet throughout this year but to see the flashes of what Tyrell Williams can be and if he's working to be this complete receiver and we're seeing to see a glimpse of it a little bit on Sunday and he can put it together consistently because he was outstanding on Sunday, but it was just, it was a good sign from Tyrell Williams and it wasn't just, hey, he smoked a DB, which we're accustomed to seeing. Oh, he caught a, a crosser and took it for 50 yards, which we're accustomed to seeing. But being strong at the catch point with strong hands, finishing through contact, that's huge.
0: Yeah, you know, when we scouted Tyro Williams before the Chargers made him an undrafted free agent, or actually, I guess it was after they signed him. Yeah, one of the things that we noted was that he was a man among boys playing a co- at a D two college, and he never had to high point the ball. He never had to fight for the ball. All all his you know all his quarterback had to do was lead him, and he'd run underneath the ball, catch it against his body, and run away from the defense. So that's a skill he had to learn, Um and it took a while. But it seems like he's getting there. I mean, that, you mentioned it. That first touchdown pass was not a great decision. And it was not particularly well thrown. It was short and it was inside. And it gave Demarius Randall a chance to make a play on it. And he got both hands on it. And Tyrell is going away from the ball, reaches out over Randall, gets both hands on it after Randall looks like he secured the interception. And then he pulls him over the top of him and rips the ball out. And we've never seen hands that strong from Tyrell. That absolutely is not a catch he would have made uh, even, you know, maybe even earlier this year. But he goes out and he steals that throw to bail out his quarterback on a, you know, a questionable decision and a, a less than ideal throw. And then a couple plays later, or I guess a little while later, he makes that second catch, which was a little overthrown, came out a little hot, and it was over his head. And that's a ball that probably goes through his hands last year you know he he he's a guy who has always preferred to catch the ball against his body he waits for it to come to him and he traps it against his body and that ball would have snuck through his hands guaranteed the last couple years and he goes up with the strong hands with Denzel Ward hanging on him and he brings it in and just two probably the two best most physical most impressive catches that he's made at any point in his Chargers career uh Not wide open. It's not like he's running away from the defense in that situation. He's covered. In all three cases, he caught the ball in traffic. The first the first throw from Rivers was, I mean, it was a dime. It was a perfect throw. But the other two required some effort from Williams, and he he gave that effort, and he made two fantastic catches. So kudos to him. It seems like he's really growing, and we've seen his growth in other areas too. It seems like he's running better routes. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was against the 49ers making some key blocks to spring Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler on those runs off the edge. And it seems like every part of his game is starting to come together. And he's, he's a guy who heading into the season, you might've been thinking mm, he's kind of iffy to resign. Now it's looking like he might be building towards a longer term deal with the team. It seems like he's earning the right to stay, which is not something we would have said about him heading into the season. Yeah. So he deserves a lot of credit.
1: Hello. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Yeah, making Travis Benjamin even more expendable, which is a win-win, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And there was, you know, there was one time on this podcast, we actually did talk about how strong his hands looked earlier in the year, and... Man, was it the 49ers game where he basically went over that defender's back and grabbed the
0: ball away from him, snatched it out of the air, and brought it back in? It was the Rams game, wasn't was it? Was it Rams? Yeah, it was. I think it was, it was, it was the Rams game. game. And he made a similar catch like that. I can't remember if it was the Chiefs game or it was during the preseason, but he made a similar catch like that where Rivers was rolling out to his right and threw the ball up for grabs and kind of tried to lead him downfield. And he went up and high pointed the ball. And it was the first time we'd seen him make a catch like that. Yeah, it's something that he's obviously been working on and is and is coming on quickly.
1: Yeah, there might be something to that, which is which is a good sign. Okay, so I'll move on to the next one, and it's not a great one, but uh, one that stood out to me, and that was just how the special teams—it's outside. It, it's almost a flip the script. Outside of the kicker, the special teams was very disappointing. Donnie Jones, coverage teams— both didn't do good. And going into the uh, Browns game, the Browns were the worst greatest special teams unit in the country. And somehow— In the league, you mean? In the country, in the league. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Any football league. Canadian football league, college football. No, in the NFL, they were the worst. They were the 32nd best special teams unit. Both the coverage unit and Donnie Jones took a step back, which is disappointing. On the second possession, you know, they scored in their first. On the second possession, when they were backed up in the end zone— Donnie Jones kicks a 41-yard punt that Jabril Peppers feels on a bounce. He took it to the 35, but he got bailed out because of a, a offensive holding penalty. Next possession, same thing. Has to punt it out of his end zone again. He kicks it for 37 yards, and the Browns begin that drive on the 33-yard line. Then... Possession after that, he's got a little bit more room. He kicks it from the 31, and he kicks it for 41 yards. And by a series of missed tackles by the coverage unit, Peppers returns it for 33 yards, and you've got short fields for the first half. The next two punts, Peppers muffed one, and then there was a fair catch. But, you know, the average uh, punt right now in the NFL is 45.7 yards. He hit that once on Sunday, and when they needed a good kick from him, he went 41-37 and from the end zone gave him a short field, and he didn't look like he was really stepping into his kicks at all. And I guess he looked great as a holder. I don't know. Badger made all his kicks. But as a punter, it seemed like the Chargers defense bailed him out. And you talked about earlier that, you know, the Chargers kind of are overcoming some of these mistakes. And on special teams – There was a lot of them. I thought Jones was good against Oakland. I thought it was a good week, his first week as a Charger. But, you know, this coverage unit didn't look good on Sunday. They gave up some big returns to Peppers. Jones was not kicking it well enough. It didn't really hurt them in terms of the score because I thought the defense bailed them out, and they played great with short fields. But, you know, that's just something that's got to improve.
0: Yeah, I I agree, and I feel like you're stealing my notes here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My next note was, this, the special teams took a huge step back. You mentioned that the short punts for Donnie Jones, he had four punts of 41 yards or less in that game. He had a 40-yard gross average. So for those of you who don't know the difference between gross and net, gross is basically how far the ball travels in the air. He had a 30.8-yard net average. 30.8.
1: Which is gross. That's <laughs> also gross. That's terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awful. Gross as in terrible, yeah. Because he was kicking the ball so short, he basically was under-kicking his coverage. They didn't have time to get in their lanes and get down and make tackles. And he was giving uh, Jabril Peppers a full head of steam. that He was basically sprinting into fielding those kicks. And like you mentioned, he had returns of 31, 14, and 33 on his first three returns. Uh, and they they couldn't tackle him. They weren't in position to tackle him. By the time he got a full head of steam, nobody was there who was athletic enough to chase him down, and he—it was just awful. I mean, Jones left that cover; those coverage units out to dry. I thought um, Emmanuel and Dezubner looked particularly bad in coverage yesterday. They looked woefully unathletic, which, of course, is no surprise. But <laughs> with with Peppers getting a full head of steam before he even caught the ball on most of those punts. Uh, they just had no chance to make a play, often looking like they were stuck in mud. And then I thought, you know, we, we've we been talking the last couple weeks about some of the adjustments that Wiz and Gus have been making, and there really haven't been any adjustments made by George Stewart. And then yesterday, it's like he went into the game, he was like, you know, I can make adjustments too. So what did he do? He had Derwin return a kick, and he had Keenan back returning punts with with Des King, who, by the way had a huge return early in the game and then for some reason all of a sudden was splitting punt return duties in a two man return unit with Keenan uh halfway into that game. I I just he tried to fix something that wasn't broken and basically sat and watched while his punter you know coughed up punt after punt early in the game. It was ugly. The special teams was terrible. And I think, you know, against good teams, those those are probably mistakes you're not going to you're not going to survive. I, I think Cleveland is better than team, than most people give them credit for. They're certainly talented, and I think their defense generally is pretty well coached. Uh, but they did not play very well on offense. They didn't take advantage of their opportunities. A lot of that had to do with the Chargers playing well on defense. But I think if you go into games against Kansas City, the Steelers, the Patriots, things like that, the Ravens, and you're kicking the ball 40 yards in the air and you're letting returners get a full head of steam before they field those punts. You know, you're not going to catch Tyreek Hill. He's probably going to return two of those punts for touchdowns. And you're going to be giving Brady and Big Ben and, and Mahomes, you know, 30, 40 yard fields to work with. You're not going to stop them. So those are things that need to be cleaned up. Uh, you, you can't, you can't be leaving. You can't be giving them that kind of field position early in the game especially not while the offense is getting backed up and struggling to move the ball. So that's got to be fixed.
1: Yeah. And, you know, credit to the defense for, you know, stopping them, but cause they really covered up how bad that special teams unit was on Sunday because they didn't get any score. They got three points off those three returns. So, you know, it was, it was good by the defense, but yeah, that special teams has got to get cleaned up next week.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think um, the defense played well in spots. They handled the short fields pretty well. They're still a little leaky on the back end. Uh, you know, Antonio Callaway dropped a touchdown. They had uh, that Ratley kid drop a ball at the one yard line. They had a couple other throws get missed down the field. So it's not like the Chargers were flawless on defense, but they were able to get the ball, get off the field on third down, uh, which helped quite a bit. They they were able to get that interior pressure, which was huge, and really trap uh, Baker Mayfield in the pocket, which it looked like he was confused. He wasn't seeing the big windows he's normally used to throwing into. And he was having trouble making decisions and getting rid of the ball, so they they really did a good job of locking him up and jamming those receivers.
1: Okay, so what else you got?
0: So my next point, you you stole my second point, which was the <laughs> <laughs> the punting game.
1: What's your last one?
0: Uh, my last one is uh, you know m- just more adjustments that we're seeing on offense and defense. I'm I'm really encouraged by the flexibility and the ability to make schematic and personnel changes uh, by both. Uh, Ken Wesson Hunt and Gus Bradley over the last few weeks, I think it's been a huge part of their winning streak, and I hope it continues. So here, here are some of the things that I made note of.
1: And look, this this is mine too, so it's not like I'm just stealing yours. You're stealing No, I know. Too, I so mean, they're like, obvious. Well, they're obvious. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about it.
0: So the first one, and I know this is on your list because I saw you talked about it on Twitter earlier, and it's something that stood out to me was the way that they really neutralized Miles Garrett by making him think about where he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be doing. They basically left him unblocked and they ran motion and zone read and jet sweeps um, and basically challenged him to be the read man and make plays. And they kind of locked him up and slowed him down for the majority of that game. And that was a huge part of getting the offense going early. Uh, I also thought they did a better job of getting Eckler more involved early in the game, which was a good thing. Um, and then you see... Uh, the changes that Gus made from a schematic standpoint, they did a good job of challenging the the Cleveland receivers at the line of scrimmage. You know, they weren't, uh, they weren't giving those seven to 10 yard cushions and then falling off. They were up underneath their chins, bumping them, making them earn their way open and they weren't able to do it. Um, Gus, and this is huge for Gus because it's not something he's normally accustomed to doing. We saw a fair amount of cover two in that game. They had two deep safeties trying, you know, basically challenging Cleveland to throw the ball deep on them against two safeties. That is not something Gus normally does. He also was very aggressive on third down. We saw them bring in some cases five or six pass rushers, which was, which was a key to getting pressure on Baker early in the game and having him pull the ball down. And then I think the personnel adjustments also were huge, both on, both on offense and defense. You talk about. Even though Barksdale was healthy and practiced towards the end of the week, they start Sam Tevy at right tackle, and he was a huge part of the running game. Then you talk about Gus getting Jenkins on the field for pyramid on third down on the dime packages, using uh, using him to spy on Mayfield and using that closing speed and athleticism to chase him down when he left the pocket. We also saw them, you know, quote-unquote start Uchenna Nwosu at will. He only played 11 snaps. He was kind of a starter in in name only, but it was a way to get him on the field and get him some snaps. Big thing for me, a played in the box a lot more this week than he has in weeks past. And he had his biggest tackle output of the season because he was more comfortable and he was able to be aggressive and attack. We saw different mixes of Derwin and Jenkins in free safety at free safety playing in center field. And then we talked about Michael Davis, uh, starting to take snaps away from Trevor Williams and getting worked into the rotation. Um, all of these things, I think, played a huge role, with the exception of maybe Nuosu, All these things played a huge role in the defense's success in terms of confusing Mayfield, moving pieces around, really getting their athletes on the field, particularly on defense, and letting them play and getting themselves in the best position to cover up the Browns receivers and track down uh Mayfield when he left the pocket. So uh, all of these things, I think, were huge changes. And it just shows that, these coaches, I think, are noticing some of the holes in their game, and they are making big changes to the personnel to try to put their players in the best position to succeed, and it's a game-by-game change. They're making team-specific game plan personnel and scheme, schematic changes that are paying huge dividends, and these are things that I think can carry forward through the season and put them in position to win as the season goes on,
1: yeah, and so that's a lot of what I was going to mention. And I think you know it's also important to note that we've been critical of Ken Wisenhunt and uh, Gus Bradley this season, and I think they've been absolutely outcoast, and I think deservingly so. But also, I think they deserve some praise this week because they did make the adjustments, and you mentioned a lot of them. Um, just a couple of ones that you didn't mention. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of good things, but. Creating the turning up the heat on Baker Mayfield early was uh, big. You talked about it. He was sacked five times. He was hit nine times. He never really looked comfortable. And there was the interior pressure uh, came from Corey Legion on the inside. You saw some Damian Square, Isaac Rochelle on the end. You saw the DBs Derwin James, Rayshon Jenkins coming blitzes coming from everywhere, and it really got to Baker. Without Kaiser White, when Tavis Brown, again Uchenna Nwosu was the uh, quote unquote starter, but really. It was Adrian Phillips and his faux linebacker spied in dime. You saw Rayshon Jenkins as the extra linebacker. You talked about the spy. That was, I thought, a really, really good wrinkle. Having him playing close to the line of scrimmage, play all the underneath stuff, make sure he couldn't dump anything off, which looked like a lot of times was he was looking at Najoku to dump the pass off, but Jenkins is right there underneath watching Baker. As soon as Baker tucks it and runs, he attacks, and that's how he got, how Jenkins got his half a sack. And they also early on sold out to stop the run. Carlos Hyde had 14 carries. He had 34 yards on the day. Their leading rusher was Duke Johnson. He had 36 total yards. I mean, they really stopped the run. And again, last week, you know, they elected to have Casey Hayward shadow, Amari Cooper, and... Though Hayward didn't shadow uh, Jarvis Landry as much, the Browns wide receiver one Jarvis Landry as much, um, he was still on him a lot, and they limited him. He had two catches, 11 yards. They bracketed David Njoku like they did with Jared Cook the week before. He had 12 targets. It was seven catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. A lot of that came in garbage time. And it forced the other Browns players to make plays. And like you mentioned, the Ratley kid and the Callaway kid, those kids can't catch. (laughs) Browns love their receivers who cannot catch the ball. If you're forcing guys who don't know how to use their hands as wide receivers, which is their number one job, uh, you're doing good things. So great job by them. Um, Being able to stop Miles Garrett by just running at him. Was awesome. The end arounds, the sweeps, the tosses, the pitches, running off the edge—it just stretched him out. He had to stop, think. His first step wasn't towards the quarterback, and you know, Garrett got his. I mean, he he always will. And you know, he got the best of uh, Russell Okung a couple times, but man, having Russell Okung back is a big deal. And you know, I, ultimately, he looked frustrated on Sunday, and having that motion going on all the time opened up that passing game early on. While you're running sideline to sideline, it also helped limit Larry Ogunjabi mm-hmm. because when you're talking about you know their power run game and how early on in Melvin Gordon's career you're running it between the, the guards and you're just going up the A-gap trying to power two, three yards on first, second down – that ain't working with the Browns, and you're not going to get that with Ogunjobe. So they're running sideline to sideline. He couldn't do anything about it, and he's a talented D-tackle. So good on Wiz to kind of neutralize their two biggest weapons, Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobe. So uh, I thought they both did great on Sunday. It wasn't perfect, obviously, but um, you know I thought also it was kind of I don't want to say cute, but, you know, week one, the Chiefs ran that jet sweep a couple times, got two touchdowns off of it. We're just like, I'm going to run it until you stop it. That end around to Keenan Allen's working. Let's try it with Tyrell Williams. Let's try it with Mike Williams. (laughs) And he just kept going to it, and the Browns couldn't stop it. So he kind of opposed his will a little bit as a coordinator. And Todd Haley, Greg Williams, absolutely embarrassed on Sunday. They could not do anything. You can't complain about the outcome. They dominated a team that has been tied in the fourth quarter every game this year. That team does not go away. They always compete, and they put them away early. They they were it seemed like they were almost never in that game, even with the short fields early on that first quarter. They put them away, so uh, every other team could not do that. And they played a talented Ravens team earlier uh, the week before and beat them in overtime. So you know they haven't played just you know a soft schedule. So good on the Chargers to put away a uh, a pretty pesky Browns team.
0: They held Drew Brees to twenty one points in New Orleans. So mm-hmm. I mean they they've been turning the ball over. I think fifteen turnovers in their first five games. Yep. So that's a team that had that been playing extremely well. They get after the quarterback. They get their hands on a lot of footballs and coverage. And, you know, you mentioned they took Larry Gungeby out of out of the game. We talked about what they did with Miles Garrett. They also they basically just took um Mike Pouncey and said, Go take Joe Schobert out of the game. And <laughs> he did. He buried him and he ran him down and he beat him up and Schobert wound up coming out of the game at the end of the game with a hamstring issue. So uh, I mean, they took their three best, uh, playmakers on defense. You could even say four with, with Ward because they threw at him. They, yeah. they weren't intimidated by him. They threw at him. They made plays against him. Yeah. They challenged all four of their best, uh, best defenders or took them out of the game anyway, made plays on all of them and, uh, just, they had their way with them. And I thought that game started out and it reminded me in a lot of ways of the Raiders game last week where they score first. They kind of let them hang around. They slow down. They get kind of cutesy with the play calling. Things get kind of bogged down. And then halfway through the second quarter, it was like, you know what? Fuck this. Let's go get them. <laughs> and they throw those two deep balls. They, they, they connect on the first deep ball to, to Tyrell, which we already talked about. It was a great throw. Yeah. And then they make that, they make that completion. You're thinking, here comes the run. And you know the Browns are thinking, here comes the run, and they yeah. go hard play action out of I think it was at a 22 personnel. They throw right over the top. Tyrell is the only one running a route. He comes all the way across the field to make that touchdown catch, and it was basically over from there. Uh, it, I mean, they they just sucked the win right out of the out of the Browns' sails. So very well played game. You know, like you said, you can't complain. You go to Cleveland, you you go fly across the country, you beat a team by 24 points like that. Now you've got. A pretty lowly Titans team in in uh, England this weekend, and things are looking pretty good. Uh, there's no reason not to think that you know they can't go into into London and eke out a four straight win.
1: Yeah, man that that was that was a lot of fun on Sunday. Not not expecting that. I thought it was going to be a lot closer than that. I mean, obviously Cleveland's been close in every game, but man. They made everybody look bad, and you know, you talk about uh, some other talent. EJ Gaines, they threw at him too. Who Ward and Gaines have been the two best corners, uh, the the best cornerback duo in the NFL so far this year, according to Pro Football Focus. And then Janard Avery has been really talented as an edge rusher. Non-factor. No, nobody had a good game. And Schobert's a damn dog in coverage, man. He was talented, and Pouncy drove him into the ground, and it was it was game over. It was just like they neutralized every talented person on that defensive front, and it was it was over.
0: Yep. And it's another game we talked about it last week. Another game where they're getting production up and down the lineup. All of their yeah. offensive linemen played well. Their defensive linemen played their asses off. You're getting plays out of Desmond King, who we haven't mentioned yet, with his two interceptions, almost three. Yep. Um, Tyrell making plays, Rayshon Jenkins making plays, Adai making tackles in the box, Derwin almost getting a sack, uh, Michael Davis stepping in and playing well. I mean, he got a half a sack. Derwin got his half. He got a half a sack. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they, they get plays up and down the lineup from everybody on both sides of the ball, uh, depth, starter, rotational player. It doesn't matter. And I think you got to give a real shout out to Jenkins. Adrian Phillips, who we mentioned earlier, and Desmond King. Those guys played their, those guys balled out on Sunday. They, they played fantastic.
1: Yeah. This team looks to be at its best when they put that extra DB on the field. You know, having Jatavis and Kaiser wide out this week was kind of a blessing in disguise because they were fast on defense this week.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering if we might see more of Jenkins, uh, maybe in the will role moving forward because he's perfectly suited for that role with the way they, they run that. With the way with the way they expect that the will to play, I mean, he can cover ground, he can cover, he can blitz. He's a good tackler. He can, I mean, he he is. You know, I'm not going to say he's Kaiser White, but he has some similar traits to Kaiser White playing in that role. So if they want to expand his role and get him on the field more, that'd be a good way to do it. And it's a good way to to fill in for Brown and and White while they're hurt.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. And man, still no Joey Bosa.
0: We're still waiting on them. We're still waiting on them, but those interior pass rushers are playing so well. I mean, they got five sacks, and Melvin was pretty quiet. So that's a good sign because yeah. when Bosa comes back and they've got Mel- Melvin and Bosa off the edge, maybe they kick Rochelle inside. You can mix and match Rochelle and Legit and Phylon, and they're, they're going to be tough to handle.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it this week. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie?
0: At lightning underscore round.
1: And we will see you next time.
0: Thanks, everybody. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for
2: sponsoring Function.